I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Visit Wales are proud to sponsor the RHS Gardening Podcast. To find out more about Wales's beautiful and historic gardens, go to visitwales.com slash gardens. Hello and welcome back to the RHS Gardening Podcast, sponsored by Visit Wales. Every fortnight we bring you a mixture of features and discussions exploring every aspect of gardening. Plant care, garden design, pest control, container ideas and growing your own fruit and vegetables. Plus expert seasonal advice on what you should be doing in your garden right now. I'm Sean Thomas, Garden Visits Editor of the RHS Monthly Magazine for Members, The Garden. Coming up in this June edition, the latest news on RHS summer events across the UK... Our RHS advice team tackles your seasonal gardening problems and an expert guide to creating colour-themed borders to suit any garden. But first, let's go outside to see what the horticultural teams at RHS Garden Wisley and Surrey have been working on this month. My name is Matthew Pottage and I'm garden manager at RHS Garden Wisley. So it's a time of year now when everything is kicking into life. We can see loads of activity of spring perennials, of summer perennials, but just looking around us now, the thing that catches my eye, which is looking a bit tatty, over all the remains of the spring bulbs. And people often ask, you know, what on earth can you do? When can you cut back foliage? Everyone's always desperate to clear away the remnants of bulbs. And rightly so, you know, they don't really add anything this time of year. One of my favourite tricks is if the bulbs are dying down, the leaves have laid down, they do take a while to take those nutrients back to the bulbs. You can just mulch over them. You can obviously plant something that's going to grow over the top of them as a succession. So something like big, broad hosta leaves nicely cover spring bulbs under trees. Uh, but if the leaves are yellowing, they're browning, and with a gentle tug they pull away, then it's totally fine just to get in there, rake them off, pull them out by hand, and that's, that's absolutely fine. But in contrast to those narcissus, which really have died back, the camassias over here, the camassia, it's a big, tall, blue-flowering bulb. They're like moist sites. They're really good naturalised in grass, but they're just as good in a, in a herbaceous border or a, a mixed border. But they are a bit later to flower, and you can see there's still a lot of greenery on those leaves. We wouldn't want to be going in there pulling those off. You're robbing that bulb of an energy resource, which is still in the foliage. The plant is still very active. That's going to need probably another three, four weeks till that foliage has completely died down. And kind of in halfway house between the Narcissus, which are sleeping now, the Camassia, which are still very green, you've got the Bluebells. And Bluebells are a funny one because those seed heads stand up tall and proud, great big seed capsules on them. And they can look a mess again and they, they do get around. They're very, very vigorous things. 
And to be honest, at Wisley, we find bluebells a bit of a nuisance when they pop up in ornamental borders. They're great in a woodland. They're great in grass under trees. And if you've got bluebells you don't want, they're fine to lift still in the green, put them into turf, put them under trees. They're very, very vigorous. The Spanish bluebell, which is much larger, a paler flower head, holds its flower upright, are tremendously vigorous, almost to the point of being invasive. So if you don't want any more of them, pull those seed heads off now. It's very satisfying. They come off clean at the bulb and get them off before they set seed everywhere. Or if you want them elsewhere in your garden, you know, you can collect those seeds and sprinkle them through grassland or through shade under trees. But with bluebells, you're not going to do a lot of damage pulling off those seed heads. Again, if you're just going to treat them politely, let the leaves start to brown off before you remove them. Uh, But you are fine to take a border fork to them and lift the bulbs if they're in the wrong place. You'll be amazed how quickly they recolonize and, and how quick they spread. They are really quite a successful bulb. But, you know, as we saw a few weeks ago, they are beautiful when they're en masse, when they're in full flower. Uh, hello, it's uh, Andrew Salisbury here, senior entomologist at Wisley. Throughout spring and early summer, an awful lot of plants can become infested with greenfly, blackfly and other aphids. I mean, there are about 500 species of aphids in the UK and they can infest almost any plant. These colonies can build up very quickly in the late spring and early summer, so much so that they can suck the life out of plants. There are a number of control methods that you can use. You can spray with insecticides, either organic or synthetic types, or you can try manual removal, basically squashing them between finger and thumb. If you are going to treat food plants, do make sure that the food plant is listed on the label and make sure you follow the instructions for that food plant. And in many cases where the uh, green fly and black fly are exposed on the plants, it may be best to go for one of the organic types of spray. Basically, this is because it will affect the natural enemies less. And as you go through the season, these natural enemies, such as lacewing larvae, ladybirds, hoverfly larvae, do actually keep aphid numbers in check, which is why as you go through the season into midsummer, green fly and black fly tend to be less of a problem. You can find more gardening tips and guides to seasonal jobs in the garden on the RHS website, rhs.org.uk slash gardening. As regular listeners will know, once a month on the RHS Gardening Podcast, members of our advisory team answer your gardening questions from around the UK. Tackling the queries this month are Jenny Bowden, Rob Sterling and Guy Barter. I'm Jenny Bowden and I'm a horticultural advisor for the RHS and I work at Wisley. I'm Guy Barter, I work with the advice team at Wisley. And my name's Rob Sterling and I'm also one of the advisors here at Wisley. The next email is from Sally Byers and, um, and she asks, are there any suggestions for what I could put in a window box on a dormer balcony, exposed to the wind, sun and rain, and I often forget to water? Well, I think the watering bit is something you may actually have to do. Um, so we break break the question down into sections. And the, the last bit, and I often forget to water, well, y- you really do need to water. Um, obviously, water-retaining granules in the window box, in the compost, can help. Um, but if it's to be a permanent fixture, then obviously you don't really want water-retaining granules in the wintertime because things could get waterlogged. You're just getting far too much water then. 
water retaining granules can work well for summer bedding so uh, she could consider planting pelagoniums for example which have very very low um, requirements for water um, in fact they probably wouldn't even need the water retaining granules uh, so they're they're normally planted once the frosts are over um, uh, and they're the, the scented either scented leaf uh, pelag- they all they have an oil in them which makes them kind of scented the zonal pelagoniums shrubby very bright colors pinks whites reds um, they would probably do quite well in this situation and for winter um, think about heathers uh, these are plants that are adapted to to grow in windswept open heaths lands and moorlands so they don't mind the wind and the cold and the rain and a bit of sun if you're lucky enough to get some in the winter and quite possibly in the winter oh it'll rain enough so that um, your tendency to forget to water won't matter so much however be aware that if it um, freezes solid uh, these plants can desiccate so you might want to uh, retrieve your window box if it's um, a really long freezing spell and keep it somewhere where it's not going to freeze solid um, i wouldn't be too worried about the uh, the water retaining gels they don't make a great deal of difference they'll help but not a great deal of difference but you've really got to find a way to remember to water um, you could try programming your phone to remind you um, and uh, that sounds like a, a modern way of doing it Possibly another alternative um, for summer planting would be some of the hardy succulents. Um, they would certainly be um, happy in a in a sunny spot. Um, they would like uh, quite a, an exposed spot too in terms of the wind because they don't like closed environments because they're sensitive to rotting. And they would also forgive you um, for not watering them too often. Unfortunately, not everyone's lawn is a lovely uniform green. And one of the commonest questions that the RHS Members Advisory Service gets asked, especially in summer, are issues to do with lawn patches. And uh, in this instance, Kate, Jane and Robert have all uh, got issues um, with their lawns. Um, Kate wants to know how she can grow a lawn without patches. And Jane uh, says there's a bold spots, which I think she means bright green areas, and then other areas that are less green. And finally, Robert has patches caused by dog urine on the lawn. And uh, they all want to know is how they can end up with a more uniform green sward. Well, certainly in the case of um, the dog urine on the lawn, um, that needs to be treated immediately in order to stop the the lawn from going brown. So if you let your dog out on the lawn to to pass urine then um be um forearmed with a bucket of water to actually slosh onto the area of lawn where they've they've um, relieved themselves um that will dilute the urine and stop the um the chemical in the urine from burning the lawn some people um report that there's um, materials that you can buy to feed your dog that'll make the urine less toxic um to the grass but uh, there's no evidence that we're aware of of how well these things work but assuming that um, there's your vet doesn't say otherwise it would be worth trying and if the problem's really bad then you may need to reseed if you haven't been out there fairly swiftly as rob says then uh, reseeding may be may be an option there as it is for uh for, for some of these other situations uh jane talks about a, a patchy with bold spots which which we're interpreting as uh it could be bald, bald. it could yeah. be bald spots couldn't it um so yes uh the end result is exactly the same isn't it sort of bald patches uh which you may need to reseed which isn't always that easy 
I think you have to also investigate why areas might be bold or bald or bare or whatever they are. Um, and uh, one of the easiest ways of doing this is to take your fork and just push the fork into the ground uh, for six, eight inches and see if there's any resistance and compare that with the resistance in areas where the grass is growing well. If the if there is resistance it would suggest the soil is compacted and you might need to loosen it by digging the fork in every foot to the depth of six inches and gently levering it back a bit to open the soil up and then after that um, follow with uh, reseeding. In the autumn it's worth doing what's called overseeding where you apply lawn seed at half the recommended rate over the entire lawn um, after raking the lawn so first of all you rake the lawn remove any moss and um, thatch spread the grass seed and then rake that in and in the cool warm moist weather of autumn the grass can grow and thicken up the whole sward and make it more resistant to patches in future if the soil isn't compacted consider if the grass is dying in the wet areas of your lawn so during the winter and after rainstorms in the summer uh, see if the water lies where the patches are if it does um, you may need to drop push the fork in as deep as feasible to let the water drain away and uh, you'll have less wet patches another cause is that insects um, larvae feed on the patches typically leather jackets and the sign of this is when uh, birds peck the lawn and trying to get at these larvae and uh, treating in the autumn with nematodes can kill the insect larvae um, in a biologically um, controlled sort of way and that can reduce the problem as well. Uh, one other thing that you may have in, in your lawn is, is uneven um, ground levels. So if the, if, the, if the soil is undulating, for, or the lawn is undulating, for example, then when you're mowing um, the, the lawn, um, the, the the higher areas, the higher levels or hill, hillocks um, tend to sort of be scalped by the lawnmower um, um, much more readily than, than the lower lying areas of the lawn. Um, and in doing so, because the, the grass is cut too short, it weakens it and sometimes kills it out. So um, that is something that could be remedied by um, in the autumn or in the early spring, um, taking up the turf and leveling the soil and then replacing the turf so that the, the ground is level again. It's also worth pointing out that grass uh, needs at least a good a good half a day of sunshine in order to flourish and so if you've got hardware going on on the lawn if there are children running all over etc and um, you've also got um, a lot of shade then you you are going to get you are going to get bald patches and um, which leads on to our next question. Um, Amy Goggins from Keswick says, uh, have you got any good ideas for an area of the garden that is completely shaded by trees from other gardens? It used to be a lawn, um, but uh, she says that she'll probably have to give up the idea of having a lawn there. So uh, she's realised that shade and lawns do not go together and is looking for some alternatives. Um, which is a very good move and there are various ways you can you you can deal with that you can turn it into a shrubbery there are lots of plants that will tolerate shade um but they tend to be things that flower before the canopy would come out because they'd be woodland orientated plants and so uh, in their native environment they'd come out before the before the trees leaf out in a deciduous woodland so you can have a real splash of color from from bulbs and from uh, things like um 
um, woodruff and hellebores and well, obviously ferns for the foliage. Uh, there's a whole range of things, dicentra, epimediums. Um, there's there's many many plants you can use. Um, bleeding hearts are, are one of the one of the plants that flower early in the season. Um, Brunnera is a plant which has little tiny forget-me-not blue flowers and it's got heart-shaped leaves so you've got really good ground cover as well. Um, some of the geraniums are good for early summer, not the ones that you buy um, as bedding, uh, the ones with the aromatic leaves and the bright red flowers. Uh, hardy geraniums tend to have white, pink and uh, violet flowers and they're perennial so there's no need to replace them each year. And some of those are very good in shade. Uh, there's one called Geranium Macrorhizum, which covers the ground very well, so there won't be any problems with weeds. If Amy finds that weeds don't grow there, then there's more of a problem generally with growing anything. So if the weeds don't grow, then, then it is going to be worthwhile to thin the canopy so that more light does come in. And then you, you've at least got some chance. Dicentra, its common name is Bleeding Hearts. And I think it's called Ladies in the Bath. There's another, There's another name for There's it. another name for it. And it's got beautiful filigreed foliage and, um, and pinkish flowers. There's a variety called Valentine as well, which has got red and white flowers. And it's absolutely beautiful. And it does well in, in part shade. And Woodruff is, covers the ground very, very well, especially in dry soils. And it's... Common name is, uh, no, its Latin name is Gallium, but its common name is Woodruff, and it is related to um, sticky buds. Some, some people call it a weed, um, but Gallium might be, con Woodruff may be considered a weed if you haven't got enough space for it, but it's got little white flowers. It's called Lady's Bed Straw, I think. Um, it's got little white flowers, and it, it travels and it will suppress weeds, so it's a good one in a reasonable space. And it was used in the old days. It, when, it, when the foliage is dry, um, it smells of sweetly mown hay. Um, so um, um, in the old days, they used to dry the leaves and um, use it to scent linen. So it has quite a sort of history, practical history as well. But there are shrubs that will grow in shade as well, aren't there? So it's quite a range, including scented things. Yes, I mean, um, something that uh, some of the smaller shrubs, for example, would be um, Daphne laureola, which is our native Daphne. It's an evergreen, um, low-growing shrub uh, with glossy uh, green leaves and lime green flowers. And these have a, a really sweet scent at night if you're, if you're out in the area. Um, another one to consider would be Mahonia aquifolium, which... Um, has a sort of a holly-shaped leaf um, and quite spiny, although soft. Um, and the flowers are, um, if you look at them very closely, um, they're, they're in a big cluster, but if you look at them very closely, they're like tiny, tiny narcissus flowers. They're sort of little cupped, a cup centre with petals around them, but very, very small. The scent is amazing. And they're very, very strongly scented. And another one to consider for scent underneath um, tree, another evergreen, is um, Soca coca hookeriana, which um, flowers in the in January, February. It's uh, called sweet box um, because the leaves look similar to box, and in fact, it is related to the box in the box family. But um, the flowers uh, um, smell amazingly, and they hang on the air. So the next one is from Rachel Summers, and. She writes, my garden is turning into a thistle patch. What do I do, apart from keep grabbing them out? Uh, thistles are 
usually um, the perennial fish thistles, which have got roots that run below ground. So every time you cut them up, they come again. However, um, they're not immortal. And if you cut them, or even better, pull them with gloved hand, you wear them down. So as soon as they're a foot high or so, winkle them out and uh, keep wearing them down. And after a year or two, they'll be gone. Um, you can speed the process up a bit in uncropped ground by treating them with a glyphosate-based weed killer that'll be taken down and killing some of the roots. Um, if you're lucky enough to have enough room to allow some of the thistles um, to grow unchecked and flower, they're extremely good for wildlife and biodiversity. Um, but of course, that's not an option in a small garden. Uh, we had a question from uh, C. Smith, uh, who's in Carlisle, who says, My rhubarb flowered despite only being planted last year. Uh, he pulled the flower stalk off and he would like to know, will it now make some more edible stems? Fingers crossed. I think the news is quite good on that one, isn't it? Yes, I mean, the fact that it's flowering um, wouldn't prevent it from producing um, new leaves, but um, at, which can be harvested, but not... Um, a good idea to harvest the leaves um, in this year after the plant is flowered. Um, normally they, the, the, the plants flower, um, particularly during wet summers, um, and rhubarb tends to go through a dormant period in the summer, after which the leaves stalks tend to not be particularly edible. Um, so it's much better particularly since the plant is a young plant as well, um, to, to let it rest after you've taken that flower spike out of, out of it um, and to allow the crown to build up to produce leaves that can be harvested again in the following spring. Katie Singer from Chelmsford wants to know what plants grow in very clayish soil. So good plants for clayish soil in the, the dry county of Essex. I suppose my first, uh, first comment would be to try and improve it in in some way and that way would be to add and incorporate organic matter so well-rotted farmyard manure if you can get hold of it garden compost if you make your own that's very good as well a lot of people say can I put grit in there they say can I put lots of horticultural grit in there well potentially yes you could the principle sounds good but the amount that you would need would be so much. It would be about 50% native soil to 50% grit, which is really quite um, impractical for most people. And it would probably disperse after a while and you would lose lose the effect of it. So we tend to say use organic matter instead. And it's something that will gradually build up over the years. So that would be the first thing to do. And then beyond that, I mean, clay is a very nutritious soil. So the range ought to be fairly broad once you get um, some, some drainage in by improving the soil structure, which is by adding organic matter. You'll know if uh, farmyard manure is well rotted because it shouldn't smell of anything and it shouldn't be too identifiable as lumps of manure. Uh, I think those are probably the two. They shouldn't smell strong it shouldn't smell of anything really and it should be fairly crumbly um garden centers sell soil conditioners which may have stable stable manure or farmyard manure in it more likely the garden centers will be selling recycled landscape waste um as a as a, a soil improver which is okay as well that's good as well um it can be quite alkaline um but it's a good product to, to put on to improve soil structure. And that's probably going to be more widely available than farmyard manures. Uh, it just depends on the garden centre. Um, there are companies that, that, that 
bag it up and, and sell farmyard manure, but it depends perhaps where you are in the country. I always think with clay soils, um, the best things are trees, shrubs and climbers because the clay is sticky old stuff and it's difficult to sow seeds and put out plants in the spring. And herbaceous plants don't seem to do as well as they would in a lighter soil. And uh, bulbs do very well. Um, narcissi, uh, snowdrops in particular, do very well in a clayish soil. So um, the kind of uh, shrubs that seem to do well on the clay soil, and the shrubs are usually the basis of most gardens, are things like viburnums, um, mahonias, and uh, berberus. Uh, abelia seems to do particularly well, and hedges grow very well. So uh, hedges are things like hornbeam and yew, are particularly attractive on a clayish soil this isn't so much a problem in Essex um, but more in wetter areas is that uh, the clay soil can get very wet and so trees and shrubs can um, rot out if it's uh, wet so in those sort of areas do what our gardeners do in Rosemore and Devon uh, which is plant on a bit of a mound and that keeps the base of the plant a little bit drier than if it was sitting in soggy clay. And if you want to see what grows very well in your area, in in, in Chelmsford, uh, the Royal Horticultural Society garden at Hyde Hall is very close and has a wide range of plants growing in the clay soil. Remember, RHS members can contact our advice team by phone, email or letter for free help with any gardening queries. If you'd like details on how you can become a member of the RHS, just go to rhs.org.uk slash join. The advice team also run drop-in surgeries at RHS plant and flower shows, where any show visitor can come and ask their gardening questions. So if you're visiting the RHS Flower Show Birmingham at BBC Gardeners World Live, 12th to the 15th of June, or any of our summer flower shows around the UK, why not come and talk to the advisors about your garden problems? I'm Sean Thomas and you're listening to the RHS Gardening Podcast. Now to the perennial problem of border control. Whether your garden has raised beds, multiple borders or a single border display, deciding what to plant and managing the design as the plants mature can be tricky. At RHS Garden Wisley you can find inspiration for your own beds in the vast variety of ornamental displays. Here's garden manager Matthew Pottage again with some suggestions of how you can choose plants to get borders with a real wow factor. So now is the time of year when we've seen Chelsea, all the plants are waking up around us, gardens full of colour, and it's often the time when we get inspired, we go to the garden centre and we do a load of impulse buying, which is, is good fun, and it's great, it supports our nursery industry. But one thing I urge you just to think about is a theme it sounds cheesy theme in a border and maybe you don't want to have you know a very tight theme but just some kind of color scheme texture some kind of order to the bed it can make such a difference just to pause and think actually what are the colors around me what would be in keeping how much sun and light does the border get if you've got a blazing hot border in full sun to go with really rich colorful oranges and reds they look brilliant put them in a shady border they look washed out they can look a bit miserable but bring blues and silvers and whites to a shady border it lights it up you know what is the backdrop have you got a dark wall a dark hedge is it completely open is it completely sunny and if you've got some traditional planting already nearby, say you've got some old holly trees or a yew hedge, or you've got something that looks quite formal, going and putting blousy bedding plants, bananas, cannas, may not always work. So just think, what's around? What do you have? 
and how much light does it get and just spend some time maybe look at something your neighbors have done there's often times when someone say uses white gravel or a golden conifer or a very purple leaf plant and you think really it just doesn't just doesn't work so it what is really good is maybe picking up a few things from a garden center standing them around in the beds see what they work with see what they don't come to somewhere like wisley and have a look around for inspiration but just please i urge you just to give a bit of thought to colors and textures and your location what you think could work in your location and it really will help you bring a longer term enjoyment and you won't look at it in 18 months time and think oh what's working here what's what's wrong what's catching my eye and what didn't we quite grasp with this it makes such a difference in the long run for the enjoyment of your garden other things to remember when you're when you're planting your scheme when you're planning your border is do think of eventual heights think of growing speeds how quick things grow Sometimes you can save yourself money because things knit together very quickly. Sometimes if you've got a shrub and you know it's going to be slow growing and actually you want to plant three and let them grow into each other, that's absolutely fine. Things can grow together as one. But with some herbaceous plants, with you know things that you'd use at the front of a border traditionally, things can knit together quickly. Or look at the plant in the garden centre and think, you know, there's quite a lot there in the pot. I could divide it after the first year. But don't overplant because sometimes things can look so congested and you don't always get the best from the plant. Plants. And also just remember when you're placing things out, it can be really nice to contrast foliage. So if you've got a broad leaf, you put a fern next to it, you put a grass next to it, you put a narrow leaf next to something with a much wider leaf. And it just helps to set things off. Sometimes if you've got a lot of samey things in one space, you lose them, they blend into each other. So do just think actually if you're putting a broad leaf there or a dark leaf there, do I want a lighter leaf next to it? And it just helps plants show each other off to their best potential. Matthew Pottage, Garden Manager at RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey. You can find more information on the plants discussed as well as guides to garden design on our website, rhs.org.uk. On the website you can also find details of shows, events and activities happening in our four RHS gardens. Coming up soon, celebrate Father's Day with the family at all four RHS gardens on the weekend 14th to the 15th of June. At Harlow Carr, go on an orienteering course with Dad. At Rosemore, follow self-guided trails. At Hyde Hall, grab a great lunch at the Barn Restaurant. And at Wisley, meet some garden tribes. Enjoy the summer solstice at RHS Garden Rosemore on the weekend of 21st to the 22nd of June with its special Rose Weekend. Experts will be on hand to offer Rose advice. There'll be Rose identification opportunities and free guided walks around Rosemore's stunning Rose Gardens. What's more, there'll be a talk by David Austin Roses at 12 noon on Saturday. On 25th of June, come along to RHS Garden Harlow Car for an introduction to using medicinal herbs at home. From 10am to 4pm, find out how to make your own herbal remedies for everyday ailments using plants from your garden and the hedgerow with medical herbalist Belle Charlesworth. Tea, coffee and workshop materials are included. Come to RHS Garden Hyde Hall on the 26th of June from 11am to 1pm and learn everything you need to know about dry gardens with a workshop on creating a dry garden, from creating and selecting suitable plants to maintenance and aftercare. This workshop will also include a comprehensive guided tour of the Hyde Hall Dry Garden. For more information on these and all RHS events, go to rhs.org.uk gardens and select what's on. At the recent RHS Chelsea Flower Show, we asked gardening legend Alan Titchmarsh what were his favourite RHS gardens to visit. 
I love going round the RHS gums for the breadth of plant material, and I'll see something different every time. It's often a little corner. Um, the gardens I like best in life are those made by individuals because you see heart and soul. The great thing about the RHS gums is you see outreach. You see things going on which will capture imagination. Either a well-grown grown tree. I've always loved, and it's absolutely massive, the rock garden at Wisley because it's vast. And I come from the moors, you know, the Yorkshire moors, Ilkley Moor. And I look at the rock garden, and I oh, I love one of those. And the things, and water I love, and to watch streams running through a rock garden. So things, I love Rosemore in Devon, but the garden, of course, I've got to uh, pin my hat on really is Harlow Carr because it's literally about 15 miles from where I grew up and we used to go to Harlow Carr a lot in the days when Geoffrey Smith uh, who was a lovely old chap um, was the um, sort of curator there and I, I knew Geoffrey and he's a, a splendid guy and I used to I remember the first time I ever saw him because I used to see him on television as a, as a lad when I was an apprentice and he used to be on Look North doing gardening and I went to Harlow Car and it was about the first time I'd been there and I turned around and he was standing on top of the rock garden in his boots and he looked like a god <laughs> Alan Titchmarsh We're out of time on this edition of the RHS Gardening Podcast sponsored by Visit Wales We'll be back in a fortnight Until then, remember to follow us on Twitter at the underscore RHS and like us on Facebook for now, from me, Sean Thomas, and all the podcast team, goodbye. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.